Happy Sunday, Go Church family. How you feel out there? You feel good? Make some noise if you're feeling good. You look great. Everybody looks so good today. Come on, what a great opportunity to be together in the presence of God. I know many of you know this, but you're at our South Metro Atlanta campus. For all of you in person, this is our broadcast campus, and so we've got the privilege uh, in all of our gatherings to live stream from this location to our two other campuses. So we live stream all of our gatherings to our Germantown, Maryland campus. I'm sure most of you know, but we've got a campus 700 miles from here, so we welcome everybody in Germantown, Maryland today. And then also to our online campus, what a great opportunity it is for our online campus that we can leverage technology literally to reach people around the globe. So we welcome everybody in person today. Come on, you look good. I hope you feel good. And then we welcome everybody in person in Germantown and all the wonderful people online. So everybody in the room, come on, can you put your hands together, make some noise for Germantown? Let your online family know you love them. Great to see everybody. And then uh, we've got this weekly tradition uh, where we give honor to the incredibly brave military men and women, uh, the frontline workers, the first responders, the essential workers. Uh, we just continue to thank God for you, the way that you serve and sacrifice. You put your life on the line to protect ours, and for that, we're just uh, forever grateful. So we give a lot of applause of appreciation. Obviously, Jesus gets the highest praise, but when it comes to the applause of individuals, I think those that are serving and protecting us deserve a little bit of encouragement today. So come on, can you bless those that are in the military, those on the front line? Come on, first responders, a little bit louder. Come on, let them know you love them. There we go. Really great. I got, I got one quick announcement I want to give to you, and then we're going to jump into the message today. Uh, in just a couple of Sundays, as a matter of fact, on the first Sunday of February, that is Super Bowl Sunday, by the way, so depending, uh, well, most of our teams are out of that running anyway, but depending on how you're going to celebrate that day, we're going to kick off that day with Vision Sunday. We do Vision Sunday two times a year here at Go Church, and it's an opportunity to cast vision not only for the life of our church and to show you some of the great things God has done and then to show you some of the things that God is doing, but also to lay some vision for your life. God has a great vision for Go Church, but God also has a great vision for you and for your family. Do you believe that? And so on Vision Sunday, in a couple of weeks, I want you to mark your calendars, uh, make this a priority to be with us. We're going to also share on this day the total money collected from the legacy offering. So Every year we do this legacy offering where it's the only special offering we do at Go Church where you give and then we take all of the funds that are collected and we distribute 100% of those funds into five different legacy lanes. I'm really excited to share with you the grand total of the legacy offering. Uh, it's, it's fantastic, by the way. So on that day, we'll share that news. We'll talk about vision. It'll be a great day and a great way to kick off February. So I hope that you're uh, excited to be a part of that, okay? So, all right, let's jump into the message today. If you've been a part of this collection of conversations, you know that we're doing this series called Start Here, Go Anywhere. Uh, this is actually week number four of this series. It's based off of this great book called Start Here, Go Anywhere. Uh, we've got a few copies of this book available uh, for purchase today. And so uh, if you're interested in buying a copy at either one of our campuses, you can do so on the way out. If you're an online campus and you want a copy just send us a message and we'll work out the details to get you one. Again, only a few copies. It's written by a really good friend of mine, Richie Hughes. And uh, Richie's going to be here next Sunday in person. He's going to close out the whole series on Start Here, Go Anywhere. And I'd love to be able to tell him that we sold all of his books before he arrived. So come on, help me out a little bit. It's a greater investment into your life personally, though. And so we're taking this book and the driving thought or the big idea of his book, which is this. 
how do we make good choices? And not only how do we make good choices, but how do we recover from the bad choices? That's what the whole book is written about, and that's what each week of this series has been about. I'm trying to help you as we begin, and we're still in the beginning of a brand new year, how I can equip you to make good choices, and then how we can teach you to recover from the bad choices. Um, we got a lot of time left in this year, and in the name of Jesus, you got a lot of time left in your life. Come on. So you got a lot of choices you have to make, a lot of decisions that you have to make. And every day, you're making a plethora of decisions and choices. And I think a lot of times we get stuck on just the life-altering choices that we think are important. You know, the big rocks, the big decisions. You know, what school are we going to attend? What, what person are we going to marry? What job are we going to take? What town are we going to live in? And all of those choices are big, but every day you make all kinds of decisions that shape your life. As a matter of fact, we've talked about this, but your entire life is shaped by the choices that you make. And every decision that you make will determine your destiny. And so uh, your successes and your failures, again, all by the choices that you make. Uh, your family, your job, your career, your health, your finances, your spiritual life. All of those choices are determined, your destiny rather, is determined by all of those choices that you make. And so never underestimate the importance or the value of every single decision. And I told you this in a previous week. You can take this idea to the lowest level from where you're going to eat lunch today after church. Come on, somebody. The fast is over. Come on. Right? So where are you going to eat lunch today? All the way up to those big decisions. Every decision that you make will help to determine your destiny. Uh, Kevin Brooks, who's quoted in the book, has this thought, and I loved it. I wanted to share it with you. He says this, our lives are filled with choices. Not only, not only choices, but also filled with decisions. And all of us, if we've got a little bit of life to us, we can certainly understand this. Life has some forks in the road. And whenever you arrive at these pivotal points in life, remember, the choices that we make today will affect every future choice down the road. How many of you know that to be true? Uh, our lives are full of all of these choices and decisions, and we got all of these pivotal moments, these forks in the road, and every decision that we make right now, somebody say now, now, every choice that we make now will affect every future choice down the road. And so we've just been unpacking this entire thought. If you've missed any of the weeks, go back online. You can download the podcast. You can watch on YouTube. Here's just a quick recap. Week number one, we talked about the, the need to take control of our thoughts. Thoughts provoke feelings. Feelings provoke actions. And so taking captive every single thought. We think before we act. Week number two, we talked about establishing core values. A core value is a pre-decision. It's a guiding principle. It's a guardrail. So if you lay out or establish some core values, you're saying this is the type of man or woman that I desire to become, and now you're making a pre-choice so that when the opportunity to make a choice comes, you've already made that choice because you've established core values. And then last week, we talked about the need to choose wisdom, to live in wisdom, and not to really think about what's the right choice or the wrong choice, but rather what is the wise choice, the wise choice. And so next Sunday, the series will come to a conclusion. Richie's going to be here. All right, buy, buy his books before he come. Come on. So in my last opportunity to share with you 
on this series and through this idea, I want to talk to you today about how do we recover from the bad choices? How do we overcome the past? The pain of the past, the, the regret, the guilt that we feel by the poor decisions or the bad choices that we've made. And I want to tell you, and this is important, uh, this is my heart, it is absolutely possible. Everybody lean in real quick. If you're online today and you're making a cup of coffee, stop brewing the coffee for 15 seconds. Come on, listen to me. It is possible to recover from bad choices. It is possible to recover from the wrong decisions, the poor decisions, and live a life of purpose and destiny. I, I, I'm probably not the greatest preacher you've ever heard. I get that. But I pray that every Sunday that we come together and I stand up here and communicate the gospel to you, the fact that I'm standing on this platform is a living testimony that if somebody like JC can recover from bad choices and live a life of purpose and destiny, so can you. So can you. Regardless of how painful those choices have been, regardless of how much you've been set back, regardless of the consequences, and there are consequences for the choices that we make, both positive and negative. But if you're here today and you feel like you're at the end of your rope, you're in the deep, dark place and there is no way out, Sometimes I like to say it like this, rock bottom isn't the worst place to be because the only way out is up. Come on, somebody. So if you feel that way and you feel just beat down and that, man, you're just caught in this like habitual, cyclical process of bad choice after bad choice, listen to me. There is a way and this is the moment. I feel that through the power of the Holy Spirit to tell you this is the moment that you can, you can make a turn. There can be a shift. I speak that over your life, a shift in your life, a shift in your mindset, a shift in your spiritual heart, a shift in your home, a shift in your marriage, a, a shift in your finances. Can I get like two people that would receive that? Come on, like this is the moment. So it's possible to overcome and recover from the bad choices. I am a living testimony of that. I still make poor choices. But, you know, BCJC, like before Christ JC, foolish, foolish, making all kinds of wrong choices. And I felt like there was a moment that my life can never fully recover. But look what the Lord has done. And if he can do it for me, I'm telling you, he can do it for you. Write this thought down. I, I want to talk to you about this for a moment. Good decisions typically will come from experience. But most of life's experiences come from bad choices. I read an article, uh, 2019 or so, about this wealthy businessman. It never named who the individual was, but the reporter was asking the individual about the success of his company, the success of his business. Obviously, there was personal wealth and gain because of the success of the company. And the reporter said, you know, how, how have you become so successful over all these years? And the wealthy entrepreneur responded with, well, that's easy. Two words, write them down, two words, good decisions. And the reporter said, well, how did you know how to make the good decisions? And the wealthy businessman said, oh, that's easy, one word, experience. And he said, well, how did you know through experience how to make the good decisions? He said, well, that's easy, write it down, two words, wrong decisions. That's life. Life is all about good decisions, experience, bad decisions, experience, 
And that's how we just begin to develop the understanding of how we can walk in a better, more wise responsibility to make better choices. I think that for some of us, we feel like when we make a bad decision, that's it, game over, it's finished. And that's just not true. I want to tell you that the Bible, and thank God for his word, come on. But the Bible is full of individuals that made good choices and made bad choices. Uh, today, I want to talk to you about a man named Simon Peter who recovered from a pretty bad decision. But Simon Peter is not the only one that I could use as an example from the Old Testament to the New Testament. I think about King David. I was telling Kimberly this the other day. You know, here's King David who, watch this, sinned with the woman named Bathsheba, tried to cover up the whole affair by having her husband murdered. The child of this affair dies. And then later on in the New Testament, we read that this King David was considered to be a man after God's own heart. There's a way to recover from bad decisions. You go to the New Testament, I think about the Apostle Paul. Paul was a murderer. Like that's not just like in some like, let's not like, a, you know, a story or fairy tale. That's true. Paul was a murderer. He persecuted Christians. He he murdered the people of the church, and then what happened? He recovered from that bad decision. He met Jesus. His whole life was changed, and now two-thirds of the New Testament are written by this Apostle Paul. So the Bible is not, you know, uh, small in the amount of examples that we could pull from on how we can recover from these bad decisions, but my heart was just so stirred by Simon Peter. I think a lot of Simon Peter's uh, character, foolishness, boldness, kind of immaturity connects a lot with me. So I want to show you a little bit of Simon Peter's life. Now, originally, I had decided to walk you through a chronological, historical outline of Simon Peter's life. And I was really excited to do that. And then a couple of days ago, when I began to develop the slides for here, I recognized that I've got 100 verses of scripture to share with you. So I thought, is that wise? Or am I going to put all these people to sleep? So I'm not going to give you 100 verses. Come on, somebody say amen, like thank God, okay? Um, although some of y'all need 100 verses of the Bible. I'm just going to say that. But I am going to give you a lot of Bible today. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today, but I hope that I can unpack this in a way that will bring the context of the life of Simon Peter and then also the ministry and the outcome because he didn't let his bad decision ruin him. Does that make sense? All right, if you got your Bible, go to Matthew chapter number four. This is the beginning. This is how it all starts with Simon Peter. The Bible says that Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. Just a little footnote here. It's on my bucket list to go to the Holy Land. I want to go to Israel one day. Um, I want to go on the Sea of Galilee. Some of you have been before. You didn't invite your pastor, so that's wrong. All right, that's a bad decision. Uh, but I hope to go one day, and then I hope that I'll be able to host a trip one day with some Go Church folk, and we can go to the Holy Land together. I, I, want, I want to walk where Jesus walked. Anybody with me? So imagine, if you will, in your mind's eye, the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is there. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. I'd say about a third of all of the disciples that Jesus had, uh, they, they were fishermen. And watch what Jesus says. And, and the command that Jesus gave 2,000 years ago is the same command that he offers to you and I today. He says this, he says, come and follow me. 
And this is what Jesus says. He says, I'll send you out to fish for people. He says, I know that you are fishermen, but I will make you fishers of men. He says, come and follow me. And at once they left their nets, they put down their rod and reel, and they followed Jesus. Now, from this moment, this is somewhere around 30 AD, all right? For the next three-ish years, Simon Peter has a front row seat to the miraculous miracles of the Messiah. It's not long after this moment where Peter walks away from his job, quits his job to follow Jesus. More than likely, he and his brother quit the family business, all right? And they follow Jesus. Not long after that, uh, Peter takes Jesus to his mother-in-law's house. His mother-in-law is sick with a fever. Jesus heals his mother-in-law. She recovers, and the Bible says that immediately she began to cook them food. Come on, thank God for mom-in-laws. Come on, somebody. It wasn't long after this that it was Simon Peter on the boat with the disciples that saw Jesus walking on the sea, and Peter is the one that said, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you on the water. And the Bible says that it was Peter who got out of the boat and began to walk on top of the water. Every summer, I pray with great faith, God, let me walk across this swimming pool. Come on, somebody. You know you try it, and it never works. It was Peter, though, and Jesus, the only two people in the history of the world, and maybe David Copperfield, come on, in an illusion, that have walked on water. It wasn't long after this that Peter was caught up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and two of the other disciples, three including Simon Peter, and there on top of the Mount of Transfiguration, the glory of God was manifested and Moses and Elisha showed up and, and the glory of, the God, uh, of God shone around them and they again realized the, 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 the supernatural power of the Messiah. Uh, if you keep going through the history of all of this, which by the way, all of these were scripture slides. I was going to read it to you. I'm just summarizing a hundred verses. It was when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying and he said, hey, watch and pray for one hour. And then when Jesus comes back, the disciples are asleep. And he says to Peter, can you not stay awake for one hour and pray? That's how I felt at 6 a.m. on Deeper 21. Come on now. And then in a moment, what happens? The Roman soldiers show up to arrest Jesus. And it was Peter who drew out his sword and he cut off the ear of Malchus servant of the high priest, and it was Peter who watched Jesus bend down and pick up an ear and reattach it to the side of that man's head. So he's got a front row seat at all of the miracles, the signs and the wonders of the Messiah. But then watch what happens. You keep progressing in the story. You see that Peter has a choice to make, a decision. Matthew chapter 26, here's what Jesus says. Truly I tell you, Jesus is talking to Peter. This very night, now Jesus is about to be crucified on the cross, and he says, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times, three times. But Peter declared, what did he say? Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all of the other disciples are like, yeah, me too. Skip to verse 69. Now Jesus is in the process of his crucifixion, and uh, as you can imagine, the the crowds who begin to gather for quite a spectacle. And, and Peter is found in verse number 69. He's sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl comes up to him and she says, aren't you also with, with this man? Aren't you 
one of uh, those with Jesus. But Peter, in verse 70, he denies it. And he says, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Then the Bible says that he went out into the gateway and another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. Keep following along, watch. But Peter denied it again. After a little while, you see what's happening here. Those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. And then Peter began to what? Peter began to swear at them and cuss at them, the Bible says. And he says, I don't even know the man. And immediately, cock-a-doodle-doo, come on. The rooster crows. Then Peter, the Bible says, remembered that the words of Jesus were spoken, that before the rooster crowed, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. I'm not sure. I've made a lot of bad decisions in my life, but disowning Jesus after confessing your faith in Christ, it's a poor decision. And I read this a few weeks ago. There were a few thoughts that kind of surfaced to my heart that I want to share with you today. The first one is this, and I hope you're taking notes. I want you to write this down. This is critically important to, to understand and hear, especially if you're feeling like you're living in a season of bad decisions. Watch this. The failure does not have to be final. I wish I had a better amen than that. I don't have time to give you a character comparison of Simon Peter and, and Judas in full detail, but just a quick synopsis. Both of them were disciples. Both of them disowned Jesus. Judas got paid. Peter didn't get any money. But the outcomes of their life are incredibly different. For Judas, watch this, his failure was final. He could never overcome the weight of the guilt, the weight of the shame, the remorse, the pain. And so you, you know this story, but Judas, Judas commits suicide. He hangs himself. And the next time they find Judas, who sold out, betrayed Jesus, you read about him swinging from a tree. For him, the... The poor choice, the bad decision, it, it did become final for him and, and it became his destiny. But that doesn't have to be the same for you. It wasn't the same for Simon Peter. Watch what happens in the book of Acts because I want you to see that the failure doesn't have to be final. In the book of Acts, watch this. This is the day of Pentecost. And so I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. But now Peter is standing up with the other 11 and he raised his voice. So Peter who, watch, less than two months prior, had denied Christ, now is standing on the balcony of a two-story apartment building, and he's preaching the gospel. And he stands there, and he says, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. And he's talking about how they were in the upper room. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit came down, and he says, they're not drunk with wine like you think they are. They're drunk in the Holy Spirit. He says, look, it's only 9 o'clock. He says, typically, we don't start drinking until about 1030 just seeing if you're listening, that's not in the Bible. He says, they're not drunk with wine. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, what's happening is this, is that there was a prophet named Joel. And Joel talked about that in the last days, God was going to pour out his spirit on all people. And sons and daughters would prophesy. And young men would see visions. And old men 
would dream dreams. And this is Peter's sermon. He says, even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they, they will prophesy. Watch this. I'll, I'll show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows and smoke. The, the sun will be turned to darkness and, and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. A couple more verses here. Watch. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Skip to verse number 40 and watch what he says. With many other words, Peter warned them and, and he pleaded with them and he said, save yourselves from this corrupt generation and those who accepted the message, the preaching of a man, 60 days prior, give or take, denied the Lord three times. Those that accepted that message, they were baptized about 3,000 of them were saved and added to their number every day. And Christ has been adding and adding and adding ever since. It's amazing to me that the failure of this man did not define him. I want you to write this thought down. And I feel this like so strong, but you made a mistake, but you are not a mistake. Do you hear that? You might have failed, but you are not a failure. I, I don't want you to allow the bad decision to define you. Now, it will shape you, but, but don't let that, that sin, that bankruptcy, that divorce, that whatever, to have the final say. Listen to me, the, the bankruptcy doesn't have the final word. God has the final word. The divorce doesn't have the final word. God has the final word. Do you get what I'm saying? Just because you, you might have failed doesn't make you a failure. Don't let that define you and detach itself to you and become a part. Here's the word that I was hoping to, to, to say and remember. Don't let that become your identity. Richie Hughes, who wrote the book, he says this. He says, nothing we have done is final. Only eternity. Do you get that? So your failure does not have to be final. It can be a pivotal moment in your life that can cause you to shift and to make the necessary changes and to walk in a life of purpose and freedom. Can I get a good amen? Come on. All right, here's the second thing that I want to tell you. The first one was this, is that your failure does not have to be final. Don't let it define you. Don't let it become your identity. The second thing I want to remind you of is this, is that we're all a work in progress. Okay, like, again, two months prior, this, this Simon Peter, who now is full of the Holy Spirit, preaching this bold and faith-filled sermon just 60 days ago is intimidated by a little schoolgirl. Listen to me. We're, we're a work in progress let me say it to you like this. You've got you've to stop judging yesterday's failures on today's faith. The Bible says that God's mercies are new every morning. And they're also new like every minute of every hour of every second of every day. And I'm so thankful for that. I look at my life and, and how I used to be in, in one of our on the closing day of our 21 days of prayer and fasting, I shared in the devotion a little bit more about my testimony. When I think about all the things that God has done and where he's brought me from, I, this is what I recognize. And you've heard me say this before, but I want to tell you again. Like, I'm, I'm not who I want to be. 
I got a long way to go. I got a lot of growing up to do. I got a lot of maturity that still needs to be developed. That is not the time to say amen or like to nod your head, okay? But man, I'm so glad that I'm not who I used to be either. Here's what I think can happen. I think what can happen is, is that we have such an anticipation for who we want to be that we lack an appreciation for how far God has brought us. Do you hear that? Like we're so excited about who we're going to become that we forget to pause and appreciate how far God has brought us along. I, I got a long way to go, and I, I don't know what your goal is in life, but if, if your goal is perfection, you're going to constantly stay frustrated and disappointed because you cannot be perfect. There is only one. His name is Jesus. Uh, my son, Lakeland, I, I like to tell a lot of stories of my kids because really they keep, uh, keep the message content flowing. I don't lack for stories, but Lakeland turned 11 on Friday, 11 years old. And um, I'm watching Lakeland grow up. I mean, and, and the, the older he gets, uh, a little bit more athleticism and hand-eye coordination begins to develop. But you also know what's happening is he's becoming even more competitive. And I don't know if you have children or grandchildren that have a little bit of competitiveness in them, but Lakeland definitely gets his, you know, I, I don't want to lose at anything. I don't want to fail at anything. Like, I'm going to win everything. He definitely gets that from his mother. Come on now. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, the thing is, is that I remember JC being 11 and being angry all the time and mad all the time because I always got put on the bad teams. Come on, I was never a bad player. I just got stuck on the bad teams, you know. And so, you know, I'm like, that, that's not fair, you know. I got stuck with little Johnny, and Johnny can't even, you know, pitch a baseball or whatever. And so I'm watching Lakeland, and, and last season I, I noticed this competitiveness about him, but anytime he made an error or anytime he messed up or anytime he failed, He'd go into the dugout or even after the game and he'd start crying. Now, I want you to know this. This is my kid and the way I parent, so if you disagree, like, cool. <laughs> but I like the competitiveness side. Like, I like that. And this, again, this is just me. I got the microphone, so I'm not the, you know, let's just participation award. Everybody gets a trophy. No, y'all lost. Like, you didn't win a game. Like, you don't get a trophy. Your mom can get you a certificate from the Internet, but... Like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have to have increased registration fees for you to get a trophy because you lost. Like, in life, some are clapping. Some's like, oh, no, he didn't. No, I did. Like, because when your son or daughter goes for the interview and they don't get the job, they're like, hey, well, do I get any parting gift? Yeah, unemployment. Like, polish up the resume. Let's go at it again. Anyway, back into the spirit. Yay, Lord. So Lakeland, you know, he's disappointing himself. And we had a conversation last year because he goes to a, a higher uh, age bracket and that transitional year is really tough for most kids. And I said, hey, like, I hope you don't think that I expect you or mom expects you to be perfect. Like, I don't, I don't want you to beat yourself up because you think we're disappointed because you struck out or you missed the ball. Like, that's going to happen. All of us. We watch professional athletes miss the ball or strike out. The difference is they make bank doing it. Come on now. You know you've been like, well, I can miss the ball for $5 million. Come on. I told him, I said, son, the goal of life is not perfection. It's excellence. Just give your best. And let me say that to you. 
You're not going to be perfect, but if you approach every day with, I'm just going to give God my best, then at the end of the day, you can say, now I'm going to leave the results of my best effort in the hand of a great God. So I don't know what your, your thought is here, but don't forget how far God has brought you and when, and when you fail, like when you mess up. And hear me, everybody lean in. You are going to fail. You're going to lose your temper. You're going to spout off. You're going to miss an assignment. You're going to be late. You're going to forget to pick up the groceries that your wife sent you specifically to pick up that grocery list, and you missed it. It happens, Kimberly. Man. <laughs> the goal is not perfection. It's did you give your best. Does that make sense? All right, let me give you another, another thought here. I got 17 of these. I'm just kidding. Here we go. Third one is this. You don't have to be afraid of God. I'm not talking about a holy, reverent fear of God. There should be a holy fear of the Lord. We talked about that last week. Solomon says that uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What this thought is centered around, and it's important that you know, is an unhealthy, legalistic, religious fear that, well, I mess up, and so God is going to strike me. God is going to punish me. I don't know who I'm talking to, but some of you have thought, well, what I'm dealing with is because God is angry at me. What? Today, God is your Savior. One day, he'll be your judge, but today, he's your Savior. It was the Apostle Paul that told us in Romans, what, what can separate you from the love of God? Listen to me. You think your imperfection can make God stop loving you? Now, I'm not giving you a, you know, go do whatever you want card and, hey, God's going to love you and all of that. I want you to hear my heart. But God knows that you're going to mess up. Think about this. God knew that you would mess up before you were ever even born. And so God sent his son Jesus to shed his blood on the cross at Calvary. And the Bible says that his blood covers a multitude of your stupidity. I think it says it that way. That his blood covers a multitude of my sin, my error, my wrongdoing. God, God's not mad at you. And people say all the time, well, I'll never go to church. If I walk into church, lightning's going to strike. If lightning was going to strike, it would have already hit. Because we walked in today. God's not angry. God's not mad. God's not out to get you. Listen to me. Stop with this unhealthy view of God. And I will say this, and I don't have time to really unpack this, but for so many of us, our view of our heavenly father is directly connected to our view of our earthly father. And so for those that don't have a healthy earthly relationship with their father here, we think that God in heaven is the same way. God's not like, wait till we get home. I'm going to take my belt off and but that's how we view God. Like, well, if I don't read my Bible today, which you should, come on. But if I don't read my Bible today, then all that favor we just sang about, God's going to be like, no, you missed it. We are human beings. And you know what we get as sons and daughters? We get grace. Thank God for his grace. There's an old song that says, if not for grace, where would I be? Man, again, I can't tell you how many times I've had to extend grace to my children, and I'll continue to do that. Like, I don't wake up every morning 
and say, I can't wait for them to mess up so I can just get them. Take out all my frustration on those two little children. No, I wake up thinking, okay, I hope we have a great day, but they're kids, right? I mean, they're kids. So how can we teach them and their mistakes? And Lord, how can I teach them from my mistakes not to make the same mistakes? Come on, parents. Come on, grandparents. God's not mad at you. One of my favorite parts of this whole you know, story of Simon Peter is this. After the denial, and Jesus is crucified, and they bury him in a borrowed tomb. And I wanted to give you all those verses. And Pilate says, you know, put a, put a guard in front of the, the tomb and seal it. We won't let any of the disciples steal his body. But three days later, up from the grave. Come on, help me preach an Easter message in January. Up from the grave, Jesus comes alive. And now he's appearing before the crowds of people and the disciples. But Peter has gone back to the family business. He's back fishing. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes walking on the shore in his glorified, resurrected body. And the Bible says that Simon Peter, he got out of the boat. This time he couldn't walk on water, but he swam to get to Jesus. And watch what happens here in the book of John 21. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Verse 15, and when they had finished eating, so they... Jesus invites the disciples around and he's literally having a filet fish sandwich with Simon Peter, the one that he knew was going to deny him and kept that commitment. Jesus said, you are going to do this. And Peter said, no, I'm not. He said, I'm telling you. And now they're sharing a meal. And watch what Jesus says. And I'm telling you, Jesus isn't mad at you. I think some of you think, well, I can't pray. I can't approach God because the moment that I do, it's going to be this beat down, this rebuke, you know, this, this whooping. But Jesus said to Simon Peter, he said, Simon, son of John, John, do you love me more than these? He's talking about like the job, the fish. And Peter said, yes, Lord. He says, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you you know that I love you. And then Jesus said, well, take care of my sheep. Watch what happens in this, in this 17th verse. Then the third time, he said to him, it's interesting that, and this is just my thought here, that Peter re rebuked or denied the Lord three times, and then Jesus restored him three times. Can I tell you that there is a grace for every mistake? Thank you, Lord. There is mercy for every mess up. Three times Peter said, I don't know him. And three times the Lord said, I'm going I'm to restore you. Watch. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus wouldn't stop asking. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. And then Jesus said, well, feed my sheep. I want to tell you this. You, you have to learn to see yourself the way that God sees you. Stop seeing yourself the way the world sees you. Stop seeing yourself the way that people see you or your family sees you or your ex sees you or the way your boss sees you. Start seeing yourself through the lens of how God sees you. God created you. He knit you together. He fashioned you while you were in your mother's womb. He made you. And he destined you with purpose and with life and with meaning. God God is not angry at you. God is calling you to come follow me. 
Can I get a good amen? When I was growing up and even as an adult, one of the things that I feared the most was going to the dentist. And most of you can understand that because every time you go to the dentist, what do you do? Like the morning of your appointment, you brush your teeth really hard. Come on. You brush your teeth really hard and you floss and all. And you think you floss consistently until you sit down and they floss for you. They're like, well, do you floss? I'm like, well, I thought I did. But my man, you're like in there. And why are we so afraid to go to the dentist? I'll tell you why. Because we're afraid that the dentist is going to punish us. Because you didn't brush properly. You didn't get way back there. They tell you that all the time, don't they? Gotta get way back there. But you didn't floss enough. So most people don't want to go to the dentist because they're afraid of the rebuke. Let me tell you something. Every time I've ever gone to the dentist, I've never been punished. My dentist, who just recently retired, so I'm looking for a new dentist. Anyone? Okay. I've never walked in and him say, hey, go stand in the corner for five minutes because you didn't floss like I told you the last time you came in for the cleaning. Now, you know what happens? Every time I leave the dentist office, I get a new toothbrush. I get a new toothbrush. I ask where the God is. God's not out to get you. God's not out to punish you. Now, one day you'll be held accountable for every action, word, and deed. That day, that day of judgment, different sermon, different conversation. That's why the decisions we make are incredibly important. But right now, God's grace is sufficient. His mercies are new every morning. I just feel like it's a great place to pause and to thank God for being the best dentist. Come on. There we go. That's good. All right, one more thought. You ready? Last thought and we'll be done. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to truly change. You know what the whole shift was from Peter's denial to Peter's promotion? Because now he went from denying the Lord three times to leading the disciples. You know what the, the difference was, the moment? The day of Pentecost the baptism, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to do a series as a church uh, in March on the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's, there's this part of Christianity that wants to keep the person of the Holy Spirit at arm's length because of all of the mysteries of the Holy Spirit and the way that the enemy has packaged the person and the power of the Holy Spirit to turn people off of having an intimate relationship. And I say this a lot whenever we talk about the Holy Spirit, but you do fine with God the Father and God the Son, but when it comes to God the Holy Spirit, like, I don't know, but listen to me. You need the power of the Holy Ghost, the power to overcome the temptations of the world. All that wisdom that we talked about last week, that comes from intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Is that, is that okay? Now watch what happens. Acts chapter 2. Here it is again. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. There was unity. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Two more verses. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Verse number 4. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the, as the Spirit enabled them. Let me give you one more thought and then a closing question. You want to make good choices? 
You want to overcome the bad ones? Church, family, listen to me. You have to stop relying on your own power and start relying on God's power. Every time I try to rely on JC's strength, I always make the bad decision. Every time I walk in the flesh and not walk in the spirit, I always get out of alignment. Can somebody who has done the same thing just kind of nod at me or come on, if you're online, give me the little praise emoji hands to let me know like this is a true story here. We've got to stop relying on our own ability, our own strength, our own power and submit to the power of God. You have a natural power. God has a supernatural power and he makes his supernatural power available to you, to you to walk in the spirit walk in the spirit of god to be possessed with the here's a greek word the dunamis power you know what duna, dunamis means dynamite come on you need an explosive eruptive power to help you make good choices and recover from the badness it's what happened to simon peter it's what happened to jc worley and it can happen to you a closing question and we're done so what is it it's keeping you from overcoming the bad choices that you've made. What's the obstacle? What's the hurdle that's keeping you from overcoming the bad choices that you've made? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Come on, nobody looking. I want you to take 20 seconds here. Consider this question before we're dismissed. What's keeping you from overcoming the bad choices that you've made? God, I thank you for your word. There's nothing like it. And I pray that today, uh, this message that uh, you've put in my heart would reach the hearts and the ears of your people and that the Holy Spirit would manipulate my words so that you would speak to those that are willing to listen in the way that they need to hear. God, the failure doesn't have to be final. It doesn't have to be final. Today can be the day a fresh start, a new day right now that we can invite you into our hearts and invite you into our lives to make you Lord, to be introduced to God the Father who loves us, God the Son who gave his life for us and God the Holy Spirit that lives within us so that we can make good choices and overcome the bad ones. Nobody's looking. If you're here today, you say, and Pastor JC, I just need, I need to rely more on the power of God than my own strength I need more of God and less of me. That's kind of a, a, a general ask. But even if you're hearing you say, Man, I just need to recommit my life to the Lord. I've been trying to live my own way, do my own thing. I've never asked Jesus to be Lord of all. And today I want to make him Christ. If that's any of you, I just want you to lift your hands. You ready? One, two, three. Come on, hands, 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 hands. Thank you. Nobody's looking but me. I see so many hands today. Thank you, Father. Germantown as well. Come on, put your hands up. Germantown online. God bless you. Father, every hand that was lifted, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would move in their heart, that they would commit to you in a fresh way today, asking you in their heart and their mind, walking in the newness of Christ today, beginning to make the wisest choices and recovering from the bad ones. We thank you for the commitment that we're making, and we give you all the thanks. 
in the most powerful name, the name of Jesus. And the church said, amen. Come on and give Jesus Christ some praise. Come on, let's do it together.